Well, hello and welcome to episode 171 of The Cool Room. We're out of the strange situation that we had in the last episode where we were 170B, but what a ripper episode that was with Other Side Brewing. If you're new to the show and you're tuning in because you're a Shaw fan, well, welcome to the podcast, but please do go back and check the archives. There's 170 episodes of great interviews out there. And please go and check out our online store. Uh, just Google Cool Room Podcast Shopify, and you can be sure to find the right beers uh, to have in front of you while listening to the podcast. Uh, and tonight we've got four great beers lined up. We're going to do the spin-off uh, beer to kick off with, which is a citrus gozer. Then we're going to have the 100% uh, West Coast IPA, the 300% Red IPA, and finish once my dog has stopped knocking beer cans off the bookshelves where I'm recording. Uh, with the hugs and kisses, you don't need to drink them all. And particularly if you're listening to the podcast version, feel free to press pause along the way. Uh, but first and foremost, let me welcome in my very good friend, Mr. Warren Wu. Mr. Wu, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you, David Griffiths. Thank you very much. Um, yes. The world is bright. Excuse exciting. me while I go and see if my dog is eating some of my son's food in the lounge. No. Room. So <laughs> I'm going to let one. you, Mr. Warren Wu, kick things off and get things going. Yes, great. So, from one old friend to another old friend, Steve Matthews from Your Brewing. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you very much. Thanks. Quite the battle play from Dave David there. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's while he's while he's off, I'm sure he's yeah, I'm sure he'll be back quite shortly. Um, let's start with a bit of an introduction. And I thought a nice way to do it would be just well, as people would have heard, uh, we're old friends, we've had you on before, which has been great. Um, let's start by rewinding and letting our especially our new listeners know how we first got acquainted. And um, what, how you, how you found your way onto the show in the past? Um, well, we first got acquainted in uh, in what feels like a, a very different time in the depths of lockdown. Um, couldn't tell you what episode um, of Cool Room it was, but it was a, it was a couple of years ago now, if not more. Um, whilst I was working where I still am working in my day job at Golden Hills Brewery, mm-hmm. um, which is out in Diamond Creek in northeast of Melbourne. Um, so we did one of these tastings there and, um, you were just enamored with my beers and my general charm and kept begging to have me back. That's actually, that's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah, yeah I think that, that's, oh, it's, yeah. I have been genuinely describing you as one of our most charming guests, uh, oh. during, uh, during the week when encouraging people to come and in and join us in the Zoom room and online and reminded the people in the Zoom room to have the chat function open so that you can type your questions and make sure that we can uh, all talk to each other behind the scenes while we're recording. And um, yeah. also just some, some awesome brews from Golden Hills. This is not a Golden Hills episode, but uh, just a shout out to a magnificent venue and a new venue as well, I believe, in their retinue. Uh, yes, yes, they just opened Hotel South Melbourne, or just a uh, very tail end of last year, Hotel South Melbourne in South Melbourne, obviously. 
And for Travis <laughs> Ristos fans, you can always find Travis out there now, I believe. When I say always, I don't yeah. mean like literally every minute of the day, just the hours where it's licensed to be open. So. <laughs> Uh, possibly a few minutes either side. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, but uh, Shaw Brewing um, was born uh, around the middle of 21, 2021. Um, I'd been toying with the idea for a little while, just in my mind, of a, of a little side project, something to um, uh, probably something to really sort of learn some of the other aspects of the industry that I didn't know possibly some of the other business end of things. Um, and so I'd called up a couple of people, a couple of sort of people in, in, in other aspects in the sales realm and maybe the marketing realm and things like that. Um, and then eventually I called uh, my good old friend, John Coat Williams, um, to see what he thought about it. And, um, and uh, bizarrely enough, he'd been on the exact same train himself and actually just got to the point where he just registered a business to do such things. But he was in the process of trying to find a brewer and I was in the process of um, essentially trying to think about who's going to distribute this. And um, uh, John, you might not know his name, but um, you've all drunk beers that he's, um, he's brought into this country. Um, Better Beer Imports has been going for just shy of 20 years, bringing in a lot of New Zealand beers at the moment. Um, Eight Wired, Duncan's, epic um beers like that that have a great reputation um so we joined forces and um and a few months later eventually got our got our act together and got a brand together well we're really hoping that this uh that your collaboration with him means that we can collaborate on getting some of those breweries on our show <laughs> uh so let's just be uh, give that little shout out yeah, um, yeah i know um i know george is coming over in a few months time so um uh, from duncan's that is um, my very niche question, and I, Mr. Wu was already looking worried, quite rightly, as I as I'm the one who guides the ship away from the normal course and onto the rocks of uh, side side discussions. But is John? I can't think of anyone else with a hyphenated surname in the Melbourne craft beer scene. Am I am I missing someone there, or is that <laughs> so? all right? <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean. I mean, they used to be Trip Smith, I guess, but it was a different end of the spectrum. Um, still owns Convoy, but so, yeah. So anyway, there, there you go, yeah. Mister Mister Wood. That's this it. is All just right, indicative then. of the fact that you're going to be the one who needs to guide the ship tonight. Um, come for the come for the go, stay for the double barrels. Um, <laughs> where are we? I'm glad you mentioned the goes. Oh, the beer. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what this show is like? Is this, a bit of yeah, this is bringing up horrible, horrible memories. <laughs> uh, um, so let's start with the spinoff. You want to give us a rundown of the spinoff? What should we, what, what, what is it? What should we be tasting? How'd you make it? It's beer, isn't it, Warren? Like, you know. <laughs> um, uh, spinoff goes, uh, um, <laughs> Not particularly tart, um, mm. uh, not actually kettle soured, so just uh, just a reduced pH through acidulated malt and lactic acid, mm-hmm. um, and citrus that's added, of course, will um, will give it a bit more tang. Um, a nice addition of salt, um, which is 
there's not a lot of point going into the history of goes because I think we've probably bastardized it so much over this. It's traditionally a, a German style beer, um, Goslin or Leipzig, um, with a with a very saline water supply. Um, so these things would, um, um, but I think we've probably turned it into something that's a lot saltier over the years. Um, ah. um, supposed to be, so there's a tartness to it, but also kind of a cleansing saline, um, sort of refreshingness on the back end. Yeah. Uh, with this one, uh, quite a bit of grapefruit, a bit of lime, a fraction of orange peel as well, um, which is obviously quite complementary to sort of a um, uh, salt and, and, and sour flavours. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about salt, immediately table salt comes to mind. Is that what what normally brewers just do? Get a bucket. Um, a lot of people have looked into it a bit, and it is quite challenging. And um, to be honest with you, I went a bit middle of the road with it, and just sort of bought um, some slightly nicer salt. Let's say I believe I had a lot of mold in at the time. I mean, now that's that's clearly the uh, the chat GPT function that we now have going to ask all of the questions <laughs> malfunctioning. So my apologies to everyone who had to listen through that noise, and one of our friends has just been muted or murdered. Either way, uh, tell us about tell us about the salt. <laughs> tell us about the salt. Uh, yes, I went um, halfway because it is interesting. Because you're right. Because if you much like with cooking, you know, I know people sort of debate about when you're salting the water to cook pasta or whatever, you really don't need to be using fancy salt. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually does still pervade into the product to a degree. Mm. Um, so I went a bit middle ground and got some mold and some pink salt and some table salt. Ah. And it's... in terms of both that and the addition of the citrus, the, the variety that you've added there, is that sort of something that you that you've sort of experimented with along the way i presume you're not doing a small batch first it's something no there, this there was no small batch of this one essentially um luckily i've been doing it for a while so citrus is always quite challenging i think though because it can really um go over the top quite quickly um we did use a a um a juiced product of lime mm-hmm. and grapefruit and then an absolute well, quite a lot, felt like a lot peeling them of um, a great as <laughs> well. Um, and you sort of you want a little bit of the pith for bitterness, but not too much. You just want the the, the zest and the um, – and I'm um, glad you're back. Um, and, uh, you know, the, as, we, as you know, just think of it as when you're cooking the zest of a lime and the zest of a grapefruit over the thick white pith, which is just sort of gets a bit acridly bitter. Mm-hmm. And is that now something that you've just got the confidence to to play with, and you 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 know how it's going to end up, or is there always just a little few nervous moments along the way when you? Uh, there is always a few nervous moments because I think because because you are a little bit delicate with it, and then the last thing you, I mean, there's a lot you can do with beer branding and things, but I'm a firm believer that if it says citrus or it says was well, it says lime grapefruit on the back, but you know it has to taste like that. Mm-hmm. That's got to be present if it's on the label. So you want it present, but not overpowering. And the key with this beer is, is um, relative. There's, there's a lot of elements outside of water, hops, and yeast, but um, it's supposed to be uh, a, a very smashable beer. That's not too tart. I'm, I'm not someone who can drink four, five proper sours in a row. Um, the acidity gets to me too much, but this was sort of 
it's about sort of 0.5 or a pH higher than um than a sort of a typical kettle sour would be. Um, normally, I might take us off on a different tangent, but still a more relevant one than hyphens. Uh, <laughs> so um, normally we we talk about uh, venues and we talk about, you know, brew pubs and bars and whatever else. But you're currently Gypsy Brewing, which right. I yep. think presents another wonderful avenue to ask questions um so burnley you mentioned before we started yep 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 uh, so far everything's been produced out of burnley and the next few batches are, are locked in there as well yeah great and what's the from from going onto a kit that you that you completely control what's the process of then developing a product via someone else's equipment and uh, through them, I suppose, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it comes, It comes. you know, um, uh, full disclaimer that there is, as soon as you contract brewing, there's an element of uh, of uh, giving up control mm-hmm. of the product. Um, that's, um, that's, that's completely true. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate uh, with Burnley that I've worked with them previously. Uh, uh, Michael, the um, owner head brewer there, um, is a friend of mine, and we actually sort of come from quite different sort of styles of brewing, but I really enjoy, he's a lot more technical than me. He's, he's, a, he's a proper German brewer trained over there. And um, and I'm and I'm not, to say the least, but we often arrive at the same con- conclusion where, where we ended up, we had a problem with this beer or whatnot. And I went about it in, a, in one way, he went about it in another way, and we end up sort of at the same place. And then their lead brewer, Cal, um, used to work work under me at um, at Hargraves. So he also knows a lot about how I make beer and things. Um, so there's a lot of trust, but um, it's a very excellent relationship because I know them quite well and they're more than happy for me to um, um, wander in there and um, and have a play and a poke around with the brews. Um, we've had Michael on the show before and it, it's wouldn't be a, a lie to say that he's probably the most technical brewer Good. going around full stop. Did you have uh, Chloe on the show as well, though? Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> uh, you, got, you got the yin and you got the yang. Yeah. Could not get away with the show without that. No. Do I? So it's, yeah. It was a, yeah. It was, and they're always, there's always an, yeah. an amazing experience. Yeah, um, um, I live in, um, in Warrandyte, in North Warrandyte now in Melbourne. And, um, uh, he's both him and Chloe are from here, and I catch up with his parents every now and again. And he came down for a beer the other week. And it's, we do, we sort of, it's as I seen we say, we talk about sort of processes and things. And he's, and I've come from it from a sort of, man, eh, it doesn't quite look right, does it? I don't know. Should we do a bit, I don't know, add a bit more of this, a bit less of that? He comes from it from a much more technical point of view. And often we end up at the exact same conclusion, like I say. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I have heaps of love and heaps of respect for um, for Michael and those and the beers that they produce. I, uh, is there a I've got to say as well, sorry, Warren, you might be about to say the same thing, but there's very few brewers whose parents we've had on the show. Uh, <laughs> but one way or another, we have ended up with Michael's parents on the show numerous times as well uh, <laughs> at Oktoberfest. So that's always been a bit of a treat. And check the archives for those. They they often let us know the exact time that that we should go to Aldi and pick up a whole bunch of super fresh German beer. <laughs> Yes. So they're they're great value as well. 
Um, so the technical side, what? So, so I suppose this is a little bit for the budding home brewer. What? What's a technical aspect that you've picked up on the on the shore brewing journey um, that you've kind of put in your toolkit now and that you use? Is there something? Can you think of something? You might not, and that that's some dead air that we can cut out. But otherwise, yeah, was there something that comes to mind that you that you've learnt? Uh, not not dramatically. I think with this beer particularly, because like I said, it's sort of it's. I think I think it's the first sour beer I've put out that hasn't been soured per se. It's just been acidulated mm-hmm. malt and lactic um, down to um, sort of the, the low fours pH four point two ish or something out of kettle as opposed to going through that process. And that kind of tickles your brain going, geez, I don't need to spend two days making this. Um, but um, uh, just finding that little balance between a session beer and a sour beer, I think. Um, and we're all, and it's been re- received really well, this spinoff. Um, and by both sort of sour drinkers and not and people who, who don't necessarily go for a sour as well. Mm-hmm. Over the journey, we've had uh, a few different sours that you've been uh, that you produced. Uh, are the Gozers sour? Well, you do, and you do an amazing array of styles, which is really impressive. But is there a is there a specific? I suppose is what is what makes a Gozer special, or amongst the sours for you to brew? Like, why does Shaw get a go at? Uh, why does one the beers that you've chosen for sure are sour? Yeah, I think it sort of goes back to what I was saying. It's, it's that it's that balance between um, a classic a classic Berliner Weiss sour and a more sort of approachable, sessionable beer. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the um, the salt adds that sort of cleansing level to the palate, and it's also quite recognisable to the drinker that they're getting it. Yep. Um, and it just it just lends a platform, a level of salt like that lends uh, a, a baseline for for fruit additions or for spice additions and things like that. Um, do you, we before we got on air, we were talking about. Well, I mentioned that that quite often winemakers will have a certain uh, a certain fingerprint, even if it's away from their own label and they're working with another vineyard, yeah. they bought some fruit in. I'm kind of sense that it's the same thing, and it might just be, it might just be, um, uh, just I don't know. You might just be. Uh, you can cut that bit out, David. I can't think of the word of it. But yeah, do you have a fingerprint? Do you believe you've got a fingerprint when you when you're making your sours? Um, I feel yeah, like I, I think so. This is a fraction different, but a lot of the process is going to be the same. A lot of the time, uh, the volumes and then the time that maybe you add fruit or 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 herbs or spices or whatever it might be mm-hmm. is going to be similar um you know go back to wine a lot of people say that you know wine often tastes a lot more like the the winery than it does like the vineyards you might be getting grapes from somewhere but it's going to be it's that fingerprint as you say that trademark taste is going to come from in the winery and so a brewer is going to they're naturally going to have if if something works, they're going to reuse that process. Even if you're swapping out um, grapefruit for raspberries or something like that, you're gonna you're gonna still borrow from something that was good previously. Um, yeah, that's a very lovely insight. I think that's a really good insight. 
Absolutely. Um, Matthew, who's joining us here yeah. in the Zoom room tonight, has typed a really interesting question, which I'm going to adapt a little bit, Matthew. So apologies for doing that. But, but he's asked, are there um, beers that you've had recently or breweries you've visited or tasted recently that have influenced uh, what you're trying to do? And perhaps particularly in terms of this beer and goes, is, is there other sort of goes out there that you admire or that you sort of take a bit of inspiration from? And I guess from my point of view, everything you said earlier on about this being quite a mild version and easy drinking and mm. I think incredibly enjoyable for those reasons. Sort of what influences are you taking on when you're considering the, the style you're making here? Um, uh, yeah, there's 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 no democracy in this totalitarian dictatorship that is that is my brewing style. That is um, the uh, first T-shirt quote that we're going to make for you tonight. So yeah. that's good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't <laughs> no, no democracy um, in this uh, dictatorship. Um, uh, Sourwise is quite tricky, isn't it? Because I think there is such a plethora of them out there, and they go to such people are really after some seriously tart stuff these days as well which is a little beyond me um one beer that i particularly enjoyed a few or a series of beers was the um little bang schwang beers mm. they were fab i remember the um the tangerine or the mandarin tan tangerine i think they called it um it was it was so full of fruit but it was just superb it was only it was only two and a half or three percent or something like that, and there was that real, um, just super light and refreshing. But you weren't just drinking fruit juice. Um, the guys at Bright have made some great ones in their um, what was their sweetheart series? Their lime one, especially had every kind of dimension of lime. I called their old Brewer Reed to ask him how he used the lime in that for this beer and for another one as well. Um. <clears throat> But yeah, this, I mean, I drink lots of beers, so you're always kind of picking up bits and bobs. And I've had the pleasure of of making loads of different styles of beer over the years. And so when you come to build a recipe, sometimes you sort of go, oh, I remember that IPA I made three years ago that was awesome. Like, let's do that, but let's make the malt lighter and let's up the hops or something like that or make it 3% stronger. Great. It's going to, I just, you know, in rounding out this beer, and then maybe we'll get Mr. Wu to move us on to the next one. But I love both the name and the labelling of this. Mm -hmm. Is, is yeah. the name particularly relevant to the fact that, you know, you are starting this nighttime hustle uh, it, and the it, design it, of the beer? Quite a good guess, great. actually. Yes, this was um, very much on that. And in fact, it was my pick. It, for the um for the brand name originally it, um it was on the short list for the uh for the brand name and i was um, going to get to that uh, question later on but we can we can we can do and we both well. we both enjoyed um i think it was probably um sort of up there in the short list for the um for the brand name so we said all right we'll keep it and we'll make sure we call the beer beer it. and of course there's such a um <clears throat> a musical element that runs through the shore beers as well that sort of spin-off just kind of leads to that um vinyl and circular um looks yeah and um and the design's beautiful as well the dine um should give a shout out um uh mark gamble who goes under the name secretly swedish as a designer um he's done all of our stuff he's amazing that, that begs uh, another question that that other name secretly sweet swedish well you know so I've, I've read his i've read his blurb um i think he's was particularly into a few Swedish bands or something like that and was possibly 
and someone once accused him of being secretly Swedish. It's a it's a great it's fantastic book um, for him. Um, you'd recognise his work from uh, he's been doing a few of the uh, the Hop Nation taller can special releases. Oh. Um, the riders be stuff you might see a little correlation between those. That he's a brilliant designer. He does amazing work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love both the simplicity of this design, but the fact and this that- was this was um this was I think in in the first run of all the. Things that we went through. This was, aside from a slight color change, it was on the first sheet that he sent us of things, and we went, "Yes, that one, please." And it, it barely got changed. So, the spin-off design-wise, is a very special place for us. Yeah, absolutely. It tells you exactly what's in the can, mm-hmm. but it's also just a really nice thing to look at. So, it's not often yes. that those things line up like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and Matthew is uh, excellent. Is, is has got another question here in our chat, which That's is. It. Hi, Matthew. Matthew. Do we know Matthew? Do you? Is Matthew oh, I'd rather not. Um, no, I do know Matthew. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 fine. We don't need to go through all those gory details. But he he does have a, a ripper a ripper question here with um yeah. with that musical theme that you've already alluded to there. Um, yes. Uh, how does how does that influence and musicians sort of influence what's going on? You know, uh, in, in your mind when you're approaching the beers and and particularly the marketing of them. Yeah, um, John and I, business partner, have had a lot of trouble kind of um, uh, telling the story of how of how we got going because mm-hmm. we're bored shitless of hearing the story of two mates who got mm-hmm. together who just want to brew the beers that they like to drink. Oh, um, well, we have of... heard that one in the previous one. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. No, <laughs> there's wrong with that because it's true in this case. Yeah. But we'd like to have a little bit, yeah, we, you know, so we talk about being cellmates and conversion therapy and things instead. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, music, beers, friends, live music, especially. Um, it's been a big part of our lives. John's especially he used to be a DJ. So what we decided to do was that every every cat, every release, every every skew would have a its own play- playlist that John puts together. Um, the one on the back of spin-off is probably one of my favourites. It's all proper Calypso music, which is, if you think I'm politically incorrect, listen to some good old-fashioned Calypso. Um, or, but, don't. Uh, or don't. Or don't. Or, or don't. That's fine. Don't. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, it's about it's about good times. It's about dance hall. It's about, yeah. Again, it's all a bit cliche type stuff. Good times and mates. And and is there a dream uh, musician that you'd like to be able to put on a on the front of a can without being sued? I presume is oh, without, oh, I'd never do anything without. That's a great question. Um, I think we'd love to have a band coming over or something that that you know that we then collaborate with. Um, I don't know, probably, but something a bit approachable. I've been listening to a heap of Easy Star All Stars again recently, so I'll just say them and their and their various reggae covers of of tunes. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the Finnish uh, bluegrass band Steve's and Seagulls when they play at the Corner Hotel, who cover a whole lot of metal songs uh, by the likes of Finnish Slayer and Maidens. Sorry, Finnish bluegrass. Yes, that is correct. They do Finnish bluegrass versions of new wave of British metal, basically. Uh, 
that's my kind of shtick. So if you can whack a seagull on the front of a can one of these days, we uh, we will look forward to selling that. So yeah, we've got to rewind. We've got to cut it. Finnish bluegrass covering heavy new metal. wave of British metal. New wave British metal, right? Mm. Okay. I mean, they had yeah. Metallica and a range of other things, uh, but yeah, yeah. It is, it is very me, and that's why I probably will be standing by myself at the Corner Hotel on the uh, 4th of April. But <laughs> I feel I feel like I have once again, Mr. Warren Wu, led us down something of a, uh, of a tangent there. Can you get us back on track? Can you light this room up with the 100% dynamite? Oh, that's an appalling segue. <laughs> it wasn't intentional for what it's worth. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, no, it was, yeah, okay, if it wasn't. God okay. um, oh, damn it, our guest has just walked off. That's okay. It means I can I can put a link to Stephen Seagulls in the... Uh, Stephen Seagulls. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, they, are, they are genuinely brilliant. You You have not heard Thunderstruck. Until you've heard it played bluegrass <laughs> style. Also, everyone buy some Shaw beer. If this is, if this isn't just a Stephen Seagulls ad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, all right, a hundred percent dynamite West Coast IPA. Personally, recently, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I love it when brewers just tell me that I'm wrong. Um. West Coast IPAs aren't bitter enough. Yours is terrifically balanced, and I like drinking. And it's really like I've I cracked it open a little bit earlier, and I'm just smashing through it. It's delicious. But am I wrong? Is yours just not bitter enough? Um, no, no, IPAs aren't bitter enough. I completely agree with you. They're mm-hmm. not. Um, but we've also been drinking hoppy beers for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Our lupulin threshold hath shifted. Ah, true. Um, but yes. no, you know, you're right. There's a huge, there's a huge move to kind of make IPAs um, just fruity and not bitter. It's the same way there's a huge move to make stouts that aren't roasty or kind mm-hmm. of or burnt or kind of coffee flavors. They're just sort of supposed to be smooth. Um, with this one. Oh, the bitterness would have faded a little bit, but um, there's still a, it's still, you can still taste it when it's out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, to sort of um, make it simple. Um, I per- hugely enjoy West Coast IPA. Um, we really went super lean on the malts. Um, I think I think it was John actually we were sitting in, in Stomping Ground, I think, and um, we always enjoy their um uh the West Coast hop stomper. Hop stomper. Mm. Yeah, um, delicious beer. Um and even when we sort of looked at it, God, he just went, Oh wait, God, it's just like it's, it's as light as a pilsner, isn't it? In in colour. And um and I went, Oh yeah, yeah, why can't you just yeah. use keep a pilsner malt instead of ale malt just to really try and make it light? So we did that or well, about halfy halfy pilsner and ale malt, don't want it too sulfury. Um and just tried to keep it super lean. Um, really dry and um, and a nice bit of hop character both on the nose and on the palate and an exact correct amount of bitterness. <laughs> um, what what hops do you throw in to give it this exact amount of bitterness? 
exact amount of bitterness is created with a concoction. Um, uh, all of the Dynamite series so far has been Citra and Strata have been um, uh, commonly through, and this one has good old-fashioned Chinook in it as well. So tell us a little bit about that series you're alluding to there. We're going to get on to another one in a minute with the Red IPA, but how many have been in the series? What's the what's the thinking behind it? Uh, well, think about it. So first of all, like uh, 100% Dynamite um, and 200% Dynamite up to whatever 100% Dynamite um, is a, a throwback to um, reggae and dancehall records that used to be kind of like a... Um, Vinyl com- compilations. You can you can do like hundred percent dynamite and two hundred percent dynamite. Spelled the other way. Um, but yes, so we've we've released one hundred percent. We've had two hundred percent as well. That's all gone. That was a double IPA, and then we made the very smart decision to make sure three hundred percent dynamite was not a triple IPA because otherwise we'd have nowhere left to go. Um, <laughs> So um, who wants to get to three hundred a bit? Um, but so far those three, there's been um those two hops, Citra and Strata, um, because they're a really winner combination for both sort of citrus pine, but also a little bit of a little bit of tropical splash of coconutty. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, along those lines, a bit of mouthfeel through the Strata as well. But this one we went a good old fashioned Chinook as well for that for that old West Coast herbal green piney. I think a lot of our listeners would be surprised to know that we, well, we, David writes a question list um, and and we send it to our guests prior, beforehand. So, so rarely has any impact on how the evening works yeah, out. It, but... it doesn't, so I can't say what. I'm fascinated, this is a question for David, I'm fascinated to know what the rest of this question is. We have a bit of a theory here that a oh. something... <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. That that question hasn't been fully typed out. No, um, no. So yeah, so please please could you 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 finish this question for me, David. <laughs> uh we have a bit of a theory that that we have a bit of theory here that a I'm not sure why the A is there, but we have a bit of a theory that West Coast IPAs are very much sort of the the style that is returning to favour. And we talk to brewers in America. We talk to brewers, obviously, in Australia and, and other places. And there's a new sort of style of West Coast IPA that's emerging, almost like second-gen or third-gen mm-hmm. West Coast mm-hmm. IPAs. I'd be really interested in hearing sort of your reflection on, yeah. on, on that sort of mm-hmm. idea and whether you agree with me and my half-written question. Yeah. Well, the answer to that is definitely A. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, right um uh, no, i agree i think i think i've always been in the i mean they don't have to be against each other i've always been in the west coast camp um but i think so i mean for me when we were living over here i think the big west coast revolution because you always got this influx of a, of a distributor bringing in certain international brands and it was that year that um uh, green flash was all of a sudden everywhere over here. Um, whenever it was probably um, probably a shade over ten years ago or something like that, and that was that real. Oh God, look, this is proper resinous, and but not just knock your socks off, like not just mm. not just imbalanced and and wrong. In the same way, when we were first making sour beers, we were doing they were they were 
vinegary and nasty and then we'd learned balance and when we were first making hazies they were just sort of bitey and gritty on the throat through yeast burn and things we sort of learned it and these west coasts i think you're right i think they were everything there was because it was just a competition to put more hops in a beer Hmm. and then we sort of adapted that into various other versions of, of of hoppy beers and then um and then people, I think, have come back to, I don't know, what they like or what what is a really just a good display of, of water, malt, hops and yeast, really, um, in, in quite an amplified manner, obviously, with in, with hops being the, um, the driving force. I find it really fascinating that there's sort of a return to some of those traditional sort of, you know, hops that start with a letter C. But also yeah. that people are experimenting with adding some of the newer ones. And I guess when you sort of think about what the future of West Coast might be, do you sort of have other hops on the horizon that you can imagine sort of getting into these kinds of beers? Yeah, possibly. I mean, they sort of come and go a bit, don't they? But you're right that, you know, what the original Falcons flight was the seven seas um, from of US hops. Um, and they are, they all, you do keep coming back to them, if I'm honest. Um, I think Aussie hops are almost beginning to lend themselves more to West Coast these days. Um, through the last few years, they've probably lost a little bit of their juicy tropical nature, like Galaxy and stuff like that. And um, I think Vic Secret especially is an awesome West Coast um, West Coast hop. Um, but yeah, I think there's always that good mean for balance in terms of hop usage. Um you're going to have a little bit of a, one of a better word, backbone of, of those classic US um, piney, citrusy, those things. Um, but then there's that lovely little room for a little bit of whatever it might be. It might be more woody or it might be a bit more fruity or it might be a bit more herbaceous. Um, a lot of exciting trial hops coming out of um, New Zealand, of course, and out of Australia all the time. Um and they always show a lot of promise and then they get to development and you sort of find where they fit. And people are breeding hops for IPAs these days. They're not, you know, they're not trying to make hops that are going to taste good in a lager. They're trying to make big, bitter, fruity hops that are um, that are going to jump out of the glass. Uh, um, it's a great answer. And I guess, you know, again, for we have such a broad range of listeners uh, but some who are just coming to the show and just learning about craft beer, what you've alluded to there is that the hops themselves change over time. Um, you've been around the brewing industry for long enough now, I guess, to have seen some of those changes that happen uh, in what was a, traditionally a tropical style hop may not be as tropical now. Oh, it could just be my opinion of things. Some people, I mean... I think people would agree with you. Just, about, I think it's, it's interesting to educate people about that idea. Particularly, um, uh, a lot of beautiful Aussie hops, you know, sort of famed on Galaxy, um, uh, followed by what, Ella, which is a bit unfashionable, hugely popular in the States, um, Big Secret, and then Enigma fits in a bit of a different, and then Eclipse now as well, which is an amazing hop. Um, we're so new to this game in Australia, you know, um, the amount of of the exponential land usage that they've been given to um, to these craft beer hops, for want of a better word, has, has just grown so much in the last um, uh, seven, eight years. Um, 
the states have been doing it for longer, so they do have, a, I think, a bit more consistency through there. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong there. People talk about farm to farm differences, but um, I think I haven't. I've I've known Citra to be Citra. Well, seasonally, it's exciting when it's fresh. It's been Citra. Cascade has been Cascade. Centennial has been Centennial, um, and you use them in such ways. But it's but it's 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 a it's a thing that grows in the ground. It's an annual product. It's going to change every year. It's you know we certainly accept year to year differences in grapes, and hops are going to be exactly the same. I find it really fascinating. It's one of my favourite sort of areas of discussion. That mm. idea of how you create both consistency in a brand, consistency in a particular beer, but deal with these different incoming things, and then you make the best of them. That's the oh. And and as a brewer, you're you're the, in the easiest position because the farmers have done all the work already, all the hard work, you know, to try and do all that. You know, we buy malted barley and we buy hops and things. We're not out there actually farming the stuff. They're the ones. Um, they're the ones trying to do the real hard work. I think. Yeah. Leaving the super fruity, super juicy hop character. What? Where do you think? Where else do you think the hop, the hop growing industry is headed? Like, where, if you, from from a brewer's point of view, what do you see any any kind of shifts towards a certain direction or certain trends with them? Uh, no, I think they'll always be uh, much like for the consumer of the hoppy beers. Mm-hmm. There'll always be a penchant for a new one or something new on the block. So it might be an experimental hop or something and just shovel it into things. Um, There's going to have to be a move towards more sustainable stuff because the craft beer industry uses an insane amount of land in terms of hops compared to our macro brewer buddies. Um, There is going to have to be a move towards that. Um, but I think the thing is, sort of, as we were discussing, we sort of we we see these new things, we get these new hops, and they're really exciting. And sometimes they end up fitting in, you know, they fit in your cool room. That's a word um, um, on the shelf, and you start using them in sort of in rotation in, in in your beers. But certain certain hops just are just there forever. It feels like really, you know, they're they're just they're good and they're going to taste good, and it's what we recognise as a good IPA or a good craft beer is is that hop character. I'm, I'm going to, while we're on the manufacturing side, I really like the fact that David's adding this question more and more. Um, even if you're not it, doing them in order, that's fantastic. Yeah, even if I'm not doing them in order because I'm coming. Yeah, I'm going around a little bit. Please, uh, what, all right, no, and I'm going to even adapt uh, David's question. So. Oh, so much editing. <laughs> what what sort of kit does Burnley have which you'd love to have for your own for your own brewery when you eventually open one? Oh, uh, oh as, in, as in a piece of equipment. Yeah. Michael must have all sorts of goodies, sure. Yeah, Michael must have yeah. Give it give him who he is. Oh, yeah. he's got everything these days, yeah. Yeah. Um he does have quite a pretty place these days um oh he's got a really nice centrifuge if i'm honest ah. which is i know it's it's almost a bit lazy particularly for a german brewer but um <laughs> uh, um 
Oh, hang on. Now we've got the Nick. Now we'll have to get him back on in a future episode to respond to that outrageous oh, statement. Weeks, you know, he talks. Um, <laughs> uh, it just it doesn't give you that element to kind of really sh- to have a great deal of control of that final product in terms of its clarity. And its clarity isn't just what it looks like in the glass. It's to do with its mouth feel and and the body that's left in it and things. So you can strip something right back to next to nothing. Um, so that it's crystal clear, you can see through your soul when you look at it, or something that's got a little bit of a little bit of body left to it. If it's a lighter beer, like the like the spin-off that we had before, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't strip that all the way back. You want a little bit, you want a little bit of the um, uh, what some people would call the imperfections left in it because they they just they add to the body. Otherwise, it's a bit too wishy washy and watery. So you have a lot of control with that thing. Um. Is his one particularly good? Is his centrifuge? You not used many of them before. Is for the for the size of the brewery? Yes, yes, it is a particularly nice centrifuge. You can run a lot of beer through it, and it makes things look really pretty. He last time I remember he got quite excited with like he he mentioned he gets quite excited about arranging the equipment in the most efficient way, and that's. Kind of very technical and um, go and say it German. Yeah. It's very German of him. Yeah. Um, do you, how's that? How's that work in terms of when you're when you're uh, a gypsy brewer? Like, do you feel that? Do you feel like, wow, this place is arranged immaculately or uh, specifically? Michael, uh, Burnley have a, a a lovely craft brewery. Um, it's still a shit show, like every other craft brewery. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> you want efficiency? Go on the road to Abbotsford. I promise you, that's efficiency, yeah, my friend. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, and, and and deserves and deserves respect for it. But um, uh, yeah, it is. It's a beautifully designed because he's got a relatively new brew house in there and a lot of new kit. But no, it's it's an organically grown space that's got stuff all over the shop, and you know, it's it's a busy growing business. So it's nice. It is nice. But yeah, there's always still there's only one door in and one door out, so things are always in the way. <laughs> and this is this is just one of those lovely questions I like asking uh, professional brewers. What was the first ever beer you brewed, even on the home brew kit? And how did it turn out? Did you try it again? Have you perfected it now that your your life is brewing? Never been a home brewer. Eh? Yeah, I think I remember you say. Actually, no. Now that yeah, no. Uh, I think I gave it. No, I think I gave it a go with a mate once, but that was after I was working in the industry. Yeah, um, and I was really confused about how nothing was clean. Um, <laughs> so the very first beer, home brewer was confused the, about cleanliness. Yeah, that's the very first beer I mashed in, not by myself, but was kind of I was on the brew sheet, I guess. Uh, was the wheat beer at Max Brewery called Great White. Max being a um, New Zealand brand. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Sort of a bit of the equivalent, maybe sort of the James Squires or the little creatures of of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. That was my first job in, in brewing. And yeah, that was the first time I was on the brew platform, pressing a few buttons and stirring a few things around. Yeah. That's... So 
that immediately is different from the two blokes story that we discussed earlier, where where most, yeah, most breweries are a couple of bro- blokes who who started out home brewing together, and then slowly their their hobby got completely out of control, and next thing they know, they've got a hundred hectoliters, and they got no way of selling it. Um, where did you? How did you? What drove you to no? Here's a better question. What drove you to brewing? What drove you to to oh, first chance? Realistically, right. I I I worked um, one of my first jobs. I'm English. I was living in England. Was at a um, a really nice uh, real ale pub, as we'd call it over there. Hmm. Um, so I that's a lot of Australians' first job too at a real did, ale yeah. pub in, in England. Mm-hmm absolutely a little bit of that um and then i moved to new zealand when i was 21 22 22 i just turned 22 um and i was working in the bar at max which is on the waterfront in wellington mm-hmm. um and eventually just sort of got to know the brewers there as a result of it and um was kind of intrigued by a job that was on your feet and physical but you had to use a bit more of a kind of mathematical science side of your brain for as well. Um, and so uh, uh, Ali Clem, great brewer, uh, gave me a job there. And it was, it was just for a few months, really. It was, you know, the foot in the door, but it really wasn't for long. But that was just majority. It was just scrubbing floors and tidying up stuff and then cleaning some tanks. And then, of course, yeah, the opportunity, you know, it was more of a token gesture that going on the brew, brew house to um, mash in a batch and things like that and to learn how that works. Terrific. It I seems like every time I've ever been asked to do a collab beer with someone, it really just involves me cleaning something and then shoveling something. And uh, it's, it... yeah, I don't think this is the first time I've mentioned that winemaking is eighty uh, percent cleaning, about four percent actual winemaking. Oh, the rest of the time you're dri- riding around on a forklift. That's great. Oh, great fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I reckon we could probably take a break because I'm eager to talk about the red. Well, here we are. We're back with episode 171 of the Cool Room. Uh, we're here talking to our good friend Steve, in this instance from Shore Brewing. And um, this is the beer I've got to say out of all of them tonight, Steve, that I've been looking forward to because I, mm. I love a red ale. I love a red IPA. Can you take us on a little guided tasting on what we should be getting out of the three hundred percent dynamite, and then absolutely I think more about the style. Sorry, Dan Kovac. There's been there's been a bit of a resurgence, I think, in the red IPA or in the red mm. ale, hasn't there? I think there's. We were speaking before with the one hundred percent that there is that need for that real stripped back of those hoppy beers, but I think we've all really nestled into. Um, well, certainly, certainly a lot of my friends and I and a lot of people I know in the craft game have really nestled into the um the reds and the ambers in their hoppy in their hoppy beers. So it really is quite simply just just you've just got both going on. You've got hops and malt singing for a change. Do you know the malt is still sorry, Steve. Whoop, whoop. Go the on, whoop. Weird bit about this is that I like a West Coast IPA with a little bit of malt in it. So, and we had, um, yeah, so, so it, it's, 
it's one of those things where the West Coast IPAs look like they're getting a lot paler. Like not only you, but right across the board. Yeah. And uh, and and but then other styles like the red, um, like this red, which is delicious and it's great. Uh, have go back to having that that multi backbone with those really forward hops. So what's going on? Yeah, that is that's a pretty solid point actually. I think people are sort of stripping it both ways because you know a proper West Coast mistake. Mm. Have a good old chunk of crystal malt in it. It'll be a you know a, a, a golden color, not a straw. It'll be mm. a sort of syrupy color, not a not a real hay straw color. Um, you can be right. Um, but I've seen a big resurgence in these red IPAs. I think a lot of us have gone a little dive down on them in the last. Um, in the last couple of years or so um because i think we're kind of it's i don't know kind of harks back to that to the red ales which aren't mm. a massive style let's be honest so like just a just a classic red um but backing it up with with an ipa level of hops um you're seeing the best of both worlds because the malt here is still it's still mm. pretty subdued you know there's not a lot of it's not like it's caramel and toffee outright, but it, the notes are there. There's biscuit, there's bits and bobs, but it's the hops still win. But there's just, I think, the layering of crystal malts and things like that allows allows a bit more body and a bit more palate for the booze and for the hops to sing even more. I love how you've described that. That makes, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, yeah, it, it, it kind of really describes what we're feeling with this, yeah, with this particular beer. Um, when it comes to just like, as, as someone who, who is the kind of the driving force behind another label, when you have a spin off or a side project, um, what distinguishes sure from from like how do you yeah and gold and golden hills is very much about the the experience of the venue as much as it is the beer so for you how do you distinguish yourself when someone goes oh yeah steve matthews made beer where those two pathways oh there's there's, um well you know we were talking about it before obviously with with you know the fingerprint and things Mm -hmm. i think it's going to be unavoidable because if something works really well, you're gonna you're gonna use those elements. Um, I think as much as there's a sort of a professional element that you have to make things different, it's a bit of personal pride as well. You know, I've, I've worked for some for some fab breweries in the past, mm-hmm. and you're not going to walk over and go, you know, I'm not going to come into Golden Hills and go, I'm going to make Beechworth Pale Ale here, even though the you know, the recipe is literally imprinted in the back of my mind or what it was when I was brewing there, you know, yeah. is imprinted in the back of my mind. I could still regurgitate it to you, but you're not going to do it because because of a bit of pride. And of course, but without doubt, I am going to take bits and bobs of that and I'm going to adjust them. I'm going to go, oh, you know, I want it a bit less malty and I want it a little bit more citrusy or something like that. It's gross, unavoidable. Just a little aside, um, we did. Uh, we recently did a hawker's uh, visit, which was really fabulous. Um, a hawker's visit, yeah. Yeah, and and the the 
our our thought was that yeah a lot of the brewers from that pedigree often just take that their their ipa and oh and then and like the comment yeah it was an interesting conversation that that yeah it's you 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 I've, your feeling is that you you'd like to create something more individual but oh, there, there's, every, there's every avenue I, to just go yeah this is amazing i can't improve on this let's just do this in a different in a different can yeah yeah nah you can't take someone no i mean there is i mean you've literally signed it's, it's a daft thing of course you sign ip contracts and stuff but yeah well most of it's like being a baker or something isn't it you know you can't yeah. tell a baker you can't go take that bread recipe elsewhere yeah. but um or you but, can't do or you can't do like a bluegrass version of a metal song that'd be daft that would be crazy <laughs> <laughs> there'd, there'd be no sense in that yeah um uh, but no, I think no, I do think you know. Not so about it. I think it's a personal pride thing that you have to. I don't know. Try and amplify something or change something that you want, or you can't make the same beer twice under a different label. That's mm-hmm. just not that ain't cricket. And surely, just it takes the fun out of it as well, because at the end of the day, you know, there must be a large bit of this work, you know. When oh, you're yeah. getting out of bed at a silly hour in the morning, you've you've got to be looking forward to doing what you're doing. Yeah, there's only so many chords you can put together in music, and there's only so many balances of, of four ingredients you can put together. But you've still got to you've still got to make it individual in some respect. I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's that's very true. Um, we're going to mix things up a little bit tonight because we've got our fourth beer in the lineup, and even though we're not going to sort of officially officially taste it, we do want to get to that. And so we're going to move up the audience questions in a, in a few moments' time. So everyone who's joining us in the Zoom room, if you'd like to ask your question directly, please type it into the chat now, and that way we can make sure uh, that you can be unmuted and ask your question directly. Oh, okay. To Steve. Um, and we'll make sure that all of that happens. But before we get to that bit, and we've we've asked, I guess, you know, you in the past, um, a little bit about the uh, traditional cool room question about the most strange, confronting thing you've seen in a cool room. But I guess I remember you do. I hope I, I hope you remember my answer to it. Well, let's just remind everyone at home what the answer was. He said, trying to cover, not that convincingly. Um, well, if you recall, um, I mean, I kind of know. I, I once walked into a call room um, uh, um, early, uh, you know, as, a, as a, um, uh, a hospitality worker, a bar worker, to find a boot, a gum boot full of beer. Well, half, we'll call it full of beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going somewhere different tonight is the reason why I wasn't recalling particular stories from the past. Yeah. Um, Which is more about when this is absolutely not about Burnley. It's the, it's the opposite. When you're sort of looking around for gypsy brewers and what else, when you're walking into other people's breweries, what is it that you sort of look through and for, and is there one little sign that you go, Oh, hang on. That's not quite right. What is you know? What is the sort of the warning sign when you walk into another brewery? Doesn't have to be an explosion. It's almost the opposite end. That little hint that one day there will be an explosion. Oh right, okay. 
Um, uh, I mean, in terms of if you're looking to work there or something or make beer, then you don't walk into the brewery, you just drink the beer. And if it's because um, there has been a few of those where we've sort of gone, because oh, to be honest with you, you know, we might like to do a couple of smaller batches somewhere that's offering that. And I've just, some of the beer hasn't been to my personal preference that those breweries are making. So we've just sort of gone, no, if they're not making beer that I like because of that because of that fingerprint type stuff that we talked before, that there's something in the process that isn't, isn't ticking the box for me. What's that characteristic? Like what, can you remember one of those ones where you've, you've sat there and you've drank a beer and you've gone, you don't have to mention the brewery. It's just like, no, no. but, but, but yeah, what's the characteristic where you just go, and like your, 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 one of your attributes is that, balance appears to be important part of your brewing which absolutely comes through in in what you do does the is is it the opposite yeah. to be the opposite yeah do you have the unbalanced yeah. beers or what when you perceive unbalanced beers to, is that something that immediately turns you off um i guess you know i guess guess you guys probably speak to a lot of um a lot of guys who who are doing um you know, pretty bruisy beers, let's say, you know, sort of, you know, big flavoursome, going to one end of the scale and things like that. Um, I think you see brewing processes getting boring, I guess, now, but sort of probably overstraining grains and things like that, um, which is a brew house thing that kind of gives that nasty, strange, strawy weediness to a beer. Um, um you see maybe like, you know, I don't know, you sort of, yeah, if it's just a bit, if it is that sort of imbalance or something, you worry what the process might be as to how they're, how they're maybe late adding hops and things. And then, of course, the canning is pretty much everything, unfortunately. Mm. You can make a good product and if you put it in a can a little bit off, then it'll be, it'll taste like crap in a week's time. So the canning's got to be, or the or the kegging has got to be absolutely spot on. Otherwise, um, otherwise it'll taste a year old in in two weeks' time. Mm. Matthew is destroying this podcast. He's asking some terrific questions in a terrific really positive question, way. Matthew. Yeah, in a bit, yeah, like you know, yeah. Well, let's get to Matthew because um, he's got the first oh, of the audience yeah, questions possibly. tonight. I reckon. So I'll ask his own question. Yeah, I'm gonna unmute him <laughs> and presume he's there and there he is, he's ready. Oh. And there's um still room for a couple more audience questions if people want to dive in with those. So type him into the Zoom. And just like Matthew, if you're oh. here live on a Thursday night with your dog or without your dog, yeah. um if you've got an automatic dog yeah. face blurring app on your Thing, Matthew, or is that a... he's too young? He's too young. They blur <laughs> his face. Uh, but yeah, so the question was, what is the one ingredient? Because people put a lot of different things in beers these days. What's the one thing you will never put in a beer? Wow, good question. It is it's a really good question. I like it a lot. Great. And, um, um, I mean, obviously, I've got about 83 million smart ass answers that come to mind, don't they? Um, <laughs> give us your, give us that's the why we're here. those that, that number one on the list of that 83 million. Which oh, I guess one one beers was up there. Um, blood of children, um, <laughs> loads, loads of stuff I won't put in beer. 
Sorry, like, commercially available is what I meant to say. Commercially, you'd buy, <laughs> you'd buy anything, Matthew. I know you would if it, you know, it sounded cool. Um, uh, what would I not put in beer? Um, I don't know. I've already put enough lactose in beer. What do I think tastes crap? Or is it just anything where you've seen, we don't even have to name breweries, but you've looked at some some other breweries beer and gone, really? Did you really put that in there? All right, let's not be, um, and yes to Jacob. Um, yeah, adult's blood is fine. Yeah, there's blood sweat. <laughs> so good. Um, uh, oh, do I need to be, I, I'm not going to be a bitch, but um, no, I will never put a, um, I'll, I'll, you know what, I don't reckon I'll, I'll, I'll ever put a, like a commercially branded product in, as in like a like a like a cereal or a or a chocolate bar or something like that, and try and claim that my beer might taste like such things. The Mars Stout or the Snickers something or other. Very good, very good. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. We, oh, so much editing. Anyway, <laughs> let's. So much editing. That could be the actual T-shirt we make first, you know. Um, This seems like, speaking of so much editing, um, we're going to stop the recording soon and we're going to do so before we really start to taste the hugs and kisses, uh, which is the imperial stout that's also included in our tasting pack for this month. But for all of those of us who are brave enough uh, on a school night to be embarking on a 10 point something or other uh, imperial stout, what should we be getting out of this beer? And we know uh, from your brewing history and our time with you that you don't mind an imperial stout. So, don't mind. Be- um, I'm glad they zero adjuncts, like nothing but but molten hops and yeast mm. water, which is quite odd for an imperial site these days, if I'm honest, or a, a big beer. Yeah. Um, like we were discussing before, trying to um, uh, reduce that sort of roastiness and, and um, astringency of, um, of roasted malts. Um, not there yet, Matt. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, fascinating on what that is. Matt's just written uh, change the can because he obviously wants me to do this to change the can. Ah, uh, yes. But, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Matt. Um, but um, uh, I've, I've really layered on like crystal malts in 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 a bit of a daft way. You could, you know, you could kind of use 100 kilos of medium crystal, or you can use 33 kilos of light, 33 kilos of medium, 33 kilos of dark creates the same color but adds a little bit more depth to it and a bit more bit more chewiness i guess it's kind of a beer that should be um drunk at the end of the night uh whatever your flavor is whether that's open fires and cigars or whether that's ice cream floats or whatever it should be and what a good looking label by mark gamble ladies and gentlemen yeah absolutely right and um Tell us about the what the QR code on this one will take us because I, I know the answer, but this, this one is will very it, much my um, shtick. This is your shtick, yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is um, yeah, this is full uh, uh, uh 90s hip hop, just it's the gold, the dripping, yeah, it's a uh, 
full 90s hip hop playlist. And a bit like, like, you know, some people sort of, when they're growing their tomatoes, play certain music to them and, you know, so forth. Was this beer subjected to the music while you were brewing it? Um, uh, no, it was not. That, that has been done, hasn't it? I believe, you know, people have even dropped speakers of heavy metal and things into um, into beers. No, no, it was not done. No, just, you know, just the general cries and screams of despair <laughs> around a craft brewery on any given day of the week. <laughs> um, just just a hopelessness. But then, oh, look, we're sold to, oh, no, it's, oh, no, it's working. Oh, no, it's broken again. Oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, that is very cool room, can I say. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that reminds us all too much of uh, what brings us to the room tonight. How do we go on the red? I, well, we didn't really talk about it, but um, to people, and you're going to say you like it, but do people like it? Because I think it's a stonking beer. I haven't drunk much of it recently. It does have a great balance. I, I think it's I think it's really good. I'm I it's not it's not my favourite red that I've had recently. What, you, what have you been enjoying? Big about What have you been enjoying recently in, in the red? Oh, that's a good question. Um, who do we are? The the other side, the other side red was quite good last week. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's in my local. Um, the mill one recently was stonking the dead wood, red wood, whatever that is. That that was a real top drawer red. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the co-conspirators. King Rivers is absolutely King Rivers are doing some great stuff too. Yeah, but that's less hoppy. But yeah, mm. um, not that not to say yours is is uh, anything less than than terrific. But um, there oh, no. is a lot of different styles to try out there, and it's all mm. it's all great. Um, well, I think the interesting bit for me is that in talking to other side last week, there was a real conscious sort of desire to move away from that caramel malt sort of element of the beer. So I sort of had a question written about this. It, it was quite a different take on an approach to a red ale, red IPA that they had. Yeah. 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 yeah fair enough. I mean, what did you think of, of, of this red? Did it have a lot of caramel for you or that, that classic redness, I guess, or no? It certainly had more of that maltiness more and caramelness yeah. and genuinely reminded me when we were having that bit of the conversation about when we talk about things like, you know, the Sierra Nevada Pale yeah. uh, and yeah. just that. That's that's what came to me too. And the fact that when we spoke to them, they, they were saying that they'll enter their, their IPAs in brewing competitions and the feedback will be, that it's not a classical, that that it doesn't fit the mould of a, a traditional IPA. And it feels like the whole realm has shifted away from from that multi-style of IPA. Um, but uh, uh, that's off the, that's a little bit off the, the track once again. Um, it is a bit. Also, you know, the classics here and the other thing is that we all drink it six, nine months down the track and absolutely right. Yeah, actually we've got to have another one. It makes it taste is a very similar character to sort of a maltiness or chewiness and things as well, along with cardboard and stuff like that. But usually kind of tastes a bit. 
how so to fire that question back at you how is the red how's the 300 percent been um greeted in the market like has it has it gone well is it people people really like it but i guess it's just that if you're talking about you know if you're talking about sales and stuff and um and um people don't people don't pick up a six pack of red ipa let's be honest you know quite on on a rarity they're getting maybe a four pack and then they'll grab another one next time or they'll have it on tap and they think it's good. But I don't think a lot of us are going home. I'll go home with a, with a four pack, a six pack of, of an IPA, the West coast IPA or mm. flavor. Not a lot of people are going home with a six pack or a four pack of, of a red IPA. I don't think. But that's, I might. A, that's a good call. Pete, one of our regulars has put up his hand and say he would. <laughs> people would go home with a four pack of uh barley wine and be happy as well so you know that's right we we, we love pete but he he's a particular human being <laughs> yes needs that, needs that molasses yeah um, i reckon this is a really nice place for us to round out the recorded section of our uh discussions tonight uh, but I am oh, we, so still recording. We, <laughs> we're still recording. My dog is still barking in the background. That is one of my, my, my poor wife is out there trying to stop the dog from barking. So for any number of reasons, not the least of which being my marriage, I reckon let's pause the record now. Uh, but Steve, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Thank you for reaching out and wanting to be, uh, to be on with us tonight to talk about sure. And, uh, Tell us where we can keep up to date uh, online with all of the Shore antics. Um, oh, you can you can catch up with mine and my business partner's useless um, uh, social media feed on at Shore Brewing. Um, it's, he's not going to listen to this, is he? Oh, I can no, say well, whatever I like just, about hyphenated we're surnames. Just, we're just both terrible. We're just, you know, we try and do our bit, but, you know, we do a bit. Um, you can email us at Shore at Shore Brewing. Dot com or if you need to get beer you can go to betterbeerimports.com and and buy directly there or preferably at the cool room gee you're good he's really good he's really that 50 good. buck that 50 bucks is in the envelope it's on its way on its uh, way <laughs> steve just, mr Warren Wu, thank you to both of you and Let's talk over each other one more time before I press uh, before I press pause on the record and let's taste this delicious stout. Grab it from the cool room at Shopify. Thank you, gentlemen, for a grouse night. Thank you.